Welcome to Inspire Her Health, your podcast for all things her. We are a one-stop shop dedicated to inspiring you to live your best by providing the latest tips, tricks, and stories from leading experts in the industry. Our mission is to bring women just like you together in an inspiring community to enhance your mind, body, and life in the healthiest way possible. Welcome, sister. You're in the right place. This is where you belong. So let's begin. This episode is brought to you by our favorite superfood company, Energy Bits. Energy Bits are tiny nutrition tablets that contain spirulina and chlorella algae. These algae tablets are safe, pure, and packed with over 40 micronutrients and plenty of protein. These fast, easy, convenient raw tablets can be swallowed, chewed, added to smoothies, salads, trail mix, or other healthy snacks. Now, not all algae is created high quality, but at Inspire Her Health, we trust and stand behind Energy Bits tablets because they are the only algae brand sold, endorsed, trusted, and used by doctors, nutritionists, and wellness professionals nationwide. They are also endorsed by over 50 Olympic athletes and professional athletes. So whether you're an athlete yourself, a mom like me, working professional, wellness buff, or somebody in between, these superfood tablets are sure to help improve your immune system, energy, focus, hunger, beauty, nutrition, and overall health. Visit Energy Bits website to learn more and order your LG superfood tablets today. Go to www.energybits.com and use the promo code INSPIREHEALTH for 20% off. Once again, go to www.energybits.com and use the promo code INSPIREHEALTH for 20% off your order of these amazing algae superfood tablets. Hello, beautiful, and welcome to another episode of Inspire Her Health Podcast. I'm Christina Cole, your host, CEO, and founder of Inspire Her Health. On today's episode, we have Jen. Now, Jen's a motivational speaker and an Ed Talk presenter. She helps people filter through misleading and ludicrous weight loss claims that we find everywhere, all over the internet. And she really helps formulate plans for people that will fit their specific lifestyle. Now, Jen is not one of those everyday cookie cutter weight loss coaches. She honestly is, has walked the walk and now she literally talks the talk on today's episode. We dive really deep into her transformation story and how she lost over a hundred pounds without fad dieting, which is incredible. And she's kept the weight off for 20 years, over 20 years. She goes into huge detail about how, you know, we can be so misleaded by what's on the internet. And she chalks up some of her success, most of her success with her weight loss, based on the fact that she ignored a lot of the mainstream claims on how to lose weight quick and fast. And she did it all based on lifestyle and healthy choices. You know, she did step by step and she took some time, but it really changed her life. And now she's giving back to to the world and really motivating people to take charge of their life and their health and their weight. So honestly, without further ado, I'm not going to even do this episode justice. It's so inspirational and motivational to hear. Uh, this is one of those episodes that even if you are not in, you know, if you don't have a lot of weight to lose, if you're not, you know, obese in any way or, or really overweight in general, it is just such a motivating episode to listen to just to take charge of your health and to really think for yourself and think outside the box because we can be so easily manipulated and easily swayed by what we see on the TV or on the internet. So Without further ado, let's listen to Jen's amazing transformational weight loss story. Here she is. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your energy, story, and time with us. How are you? 
I'm doing good, Christina. You can call me Jen. Let's let's be on a, a, a short basis today. <laughs> okay, let's do it. <laughs> so, you know, Jen, I'd love for you. You've got such a, an amazing inspirational story of, of your weight loss journey. And I really think that, you know, the listeners would love to hear about that. So I really want to pick your brain around that today. Um, so, you know, I'd, I'd love to just ask you first to kind of just tell us a little bit of your, your background story. Um, since we're talking about, you know, your weight loss training, what caused the weight gain in the first place? And just give us a little bit about you to start. Yeah, I'm happy to dive into this. So hello, everyone. My name is Jen, and I'm a Midwestern girl, grew up in southeastern Wisconsin, uh, right on the shores of Lake Superior, or Lake Michigan. Oh, my goodness. I'm on Superior now because I live in Minnesota. And I'm the youngest of four children. And throughout my childhood, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, I was morbidly obese. So it was not a matter of I used to be thin at one point in my life, and then I suddenly gained a bunch of weight. No, I just don't ever remember being thin. I was never thin. I do have a photograph of me at three years old wearing a bikini, but that is the only uh, memory I have of ever um, wearing a bikini. I, I haven't since then. <laughs> so I have always been a big girl. And um, you know, some people may feel that growing up a big girl means you have low self-esteem or you have a traumatic childhood or your parents didn't love you properly or anything like that. That was not my experience at all. I had a wonderful family. I was very close with my family. I had great friends in school. I was very athletic, which is very unusual for someone who was my size. Um, I remember being almost 100 pounds by the time I hit second grade. So I just kept on gaining weight because I love to eat food and I love to eat a lot of food. So, <laughs> um, and I just, um, I was still running and track. I was playing volleyball in middle school. I was biking all weekend long. I lived in the age where parents kicked their kids out of the house and said, don't come back until dinner time. So I was always outdoors at the park, playing, running, jumping, leaping, whatever. And despite my size, I never let that stop me. So I had somewhat of a very blessed childhood, if you will. I was happy unless I got bullied by someone on the playground, which happened more often than not, unless some people, whether they knew me or didn't know me, would make a comment about you're getting so big Jen but it wasn't about how tall I was getting or oh you're you're so pretty look at look at your face is so pretty and and that's kind of where those conversations headed more often than not and then the frustration as I became a teenager as I tried to find beautiful formal dresses for my dances at school they don't carry a lot of beautiful plus size dresses, or at least they didn't back then. So those challenges were always a part of my life. In summertime, I hated wearing anything sleeveless. I hated wearing shorts. I didn't like to expose my body. For one thing, I was larger. So I had um, a lot of most people don't experience stretch marks until they're pregnant for the first time. And I had stretch marks all over my arms. I still um, have a complicated relationship with sleeveless tops <laughs> and tank tops because while the stretch marks, when they first came in, they were dark red and they were very apparent. Now they're more like a silver color. So they lightened over time and my attitude towards them has lightened as well. It's not a shame for me anymore. It's just a part of the experience I had as a kid growing up and I just didn't know how to deal with stretch marks as you know, a teen, a tween. I never had any experience that no one in my family knew what to tell me about that. So a lot of interesting experiences, but overall a very happy childhood. Yeah, that's, you know, I, I love hearing your story about how you felt as a child, you know, being overweight because you, you see kids and, and it's true. I think society does put almost a stigma on them and, and they kind of feel sorry for them. Maybe they have a bad childhood or you know, parents aren't looking after them properly, but I love how you told your story and how you really felt as a childhood. And you had great memories as a kid. And, you know, was my question, I was thinking while we were doing this, did, did weight, was it something in your family? Like what, is there um, like a genetic predisposition for it in your family? Maybe not specifically weight. I have a lot of other things in my family, such as diabetes and Alzheimer's, heart disease, um, your typical, I'm Hispanic. Uh, my father is 100% Hispanic. So we have a lot of things that tend to hit the Hispanic populations. Uh, my mother is white. So I had some things going on on mom's side of the family. 
there is a lot of family history of various medical conditions. And yes, there are a number of my family members who are or have been obese in their life. I never ever chalked it down to a genetic component and I still don't. Um, the research is mixed out there in terms of whether there is a, a large genetic component. I don't believe that that was on and off various diets throughout her life and was not shy about sharing that with us. I have three sisters. She was not shy about sharing her diet trials and tribulations with us. And we, as a family, would often do exercise videos a la Richard Simmons or Kathy Smith together in the living room. So, uh, you know, those messages were certainly up front and center because that was something she was going through. But I never um, thought less of her for any of that, nor did I think less of myself for not having that same interest in dieting. I was not interested in dieting at all as a kid, at all. And, you know that probably saved you a lot of headache. I mean, you know, I talk to women a lot about body image and poor self-esteem, confidence, and it starts in childhood. It starts, you know, 11, 12, maybe even younger than that. So, you know, the fact that you didn't become obsessed, like a lot of us were in that time period, um, I think that was, you know, because were you grew up, were you born in the 80s? I was. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. late seventies, so, close enough. <laughs> yeah. I was born in early eighties too. And I think that whole era, like, you know, um, mid eighties, all the way into nineties, that's when, you know, aerobics started to become popular and working out really became a thing. Right. And the whole diet culture kind of exploded at that point. So I think that for a lot of us growing up in that time, we saw so much of that on TV or in the magazines and things. And that really just, you know, stuck stuck with us and and still does to this day for a lot of women for sure i think the biggest legacy i took back from growing up in that age was the low-fat diet craze mm -hmm. i mean it was everywhere my own doctor my pediatrician was on my case every time i went to see her i hated going to see my pediatrician but she'd say oh you need to lose you know you need to lose this much weight you're overweight blah 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 the same thing that you just drown out after a time because you're just like, I hate this appointment anyway. <laughs> but she would th say things like, oh, you can get a low fat ice cream cone at Dairy Queen. And that was kind of like her suggestion in terms of a diet program. And I'm like, I'm doing what my doctor said. I'm having ice cream at Dairy Queen every day, you know, so <laughs> it was low fat. It's okay. Um, I'm a product of the low fat diet. So um, even though I didn't diet, I did tell myself I was being good, if you will, if I was eating low fat things because that's what we grew up with. That's all we knew at the time. Yeah. And that was a huge thing. I remember too. And then I remember when it switched and went into, you know, then it was like, okay, don't, don't go for low fat. Like fat is actually good. And anything that says low fat has a ton of sugar in it or salt, they have to put something else in there. So yeah, I, I totally, I was on that train to the low fat crave. Oh my goodness. <laughs> For years. You know, the well-meaning advice that comes out there, like, yeah, just eat something that's low fat. It has the same amount of calories. Like, I don't see how that was helpful. No. But, you know, we know better now. <laughs> we, to we totally know better now. So, you know, you were talking about some of the, uh, you know, things that you were able to do, even though you were carrying this weight around. What were some limitations um, that your weight did cause? Like, what were some things that you really struggled with? There's one story in particular that really stands out because I was a teenager at the time. So I grew up not too far from Gurney, Illinois, which is where Six Flags Great America is. And I actually worked there from the time I was 15 years old. They allowed me to work at 15. I worked there from 15 to about 17 during the summertime. And I worked there with my sisters. So one of the perks of working there was on our day off, we could go into the park for free. And one year they came out with the newest ride, which was Batman after the Michael Keaton Batman. So this was a big deal. You know, we were obsessed with Batman, obsessed with everything to do with Batman. And I, we waited in line. I mean, the lines were insane back then. They were three hours long in a 95 degree plus heat. I was waiting with my two sisters and my brother to try this ride for the very first time the summer it did, debuted. And by the time, so it was one of those seats where it wasn't just like a bench seat, it was a molded seat and you had to kind of sit inside of it. And then there was something in between your, um, your legs to kind of settle you in place. And there was an overhang around your shoulders to keep you in the seat. So it was a different seat style. And by the time I had gotten to the front of the line and was trying to get into the seat, I could not fit into the seat. 
my hips were too big. And to my extreme embarrassment, my sisters and brother went on the ride while they were trying to make me feel better about the fact that the workers were not letting me on the ride. And I had to go to the back of the line and wait for them to get off this ride. I was completely embarrassed. You know, I was like 16 or 17 years old. It was horrendous. And I think that was the first time I had been denied something I really wanted to do simply because of my size. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. You know, get, you're telling me this story and it must take a lot of courage for you to, you, when you first started to tell it, um, because, you know, that's something that I, you know, a lot of people who are overweight or obese struggle with on a daily basis. And, you know, for you to be able to express how you felt during that time. And that was like that pivotal moment in your brain. Yeah. You know, I couldn't even imagine how you felt then for sure. Aww. And everything so. feels harder when you're a teenager too, because everyone's staring at you. And um, it was a big moment. Um, oddly enough, that's not when I decided to start my health journey. It just was something that was one of those teenage moments I will never forget. And I, I feel for people who are obese, morbidly obese, like heavy, really heavy, not just like a few pounds overweight, people who are really a different size. It is really hard for them to fit in the world, whether it's roller coasters, airplane seats, bus seats. I mean, it's horrible when you're doing everything you can to kind of stuff yourself into a smaller seat, trying not to fold over into someone else's seat and thinking that they're giving you nasty looks because you dare like take up their space. It is a really hard place to be in. So I know what that feels like firsthand. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think our society now has, has, and nowadays it's a little bit they're they're more um accommodating for people you you see it now the chairs you know a lot of chairs are are, are wider there's certain parts you know if you're sitting in the airports there's parts where they don't have the dividers so you can sit there but you know as a teen yes i mean you're so as a teenager we're so self-conscious already and then to have something like that yeah so what was your pivotal moment jen when was it that you decided that you were going to take charge of your health So that wasn't the pivotal moment. And I did have another circumstance that happened when I was 17 and getting ready for my junior prom, I ended up in the hospital. Mm. I had gallstones, which is, was largely through my bad eating choices. I developed gallstones in my gallbladder. And unfortunately I ended up having emergency surgery because one of my gallstones actually got stuck in my pancreas, which if I didn't get surgery immediately to remove it, I could have died. That was not my pivotal moment either. By the way, I still danced at my junior prom. (laughs) One week later after surgery, I was there (laughs) dancing at my prom. So life did not hold me back. Good for you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It was actually three years after that. I was a senior in college and I had moved away to college. I'm from Wisconsin, but I moved to Minnesota for college. And I was a month away from graduation. Very exciting time in my life. You know, I had been supporting myself. I was working full part-time. I was going to school full-time, almost at the cusp of graduation. And someone who was very special to me. I'm wearing her ring today in remembrance of her. But um, Grandma Espinoza, she passed away. And, um, you know, anyone who's close to their grandparents knows what this feels like. But she had been there for pretty much every pivotal moment in my childhood. And I was very much looking forward to her maybe attending my college graduation. Um, I'm the youngest of my family. So, you know, she had seen all the other kids graduate and she was just there with us every Christmas. She would come and show our uh, schoolmates how to make buñuelos and tamales and like Hispanic foods that were delicious and only she could make. And when she passed away, I just, I felt that moment where I'm like, she was so amazing in my life and she was healthy up until the time she passed and she was 88 years old at the time but the way i'm living my life right now and i was gaining weight consistently year after year not a lot you know not 40 pounds but like five pounds here every year or something like that and i was getting to a point where it was not sustainable like i would get to a place where i could not live the life i wanted to live i couldn't do the things i wanted to do And as I projected five or 10 years down the future, which a lot of college kids do, you know, what am I gonna do with my life? I was scared. I was scared that I wouldn't be able to live a long life. I was scared that I would not be physically able if I kept gaining weight at the rate I was. 
And more importantly, I realized that I wanted to be the type of role model that Grandma Espinosa was to me. I wanted to be that for future generations. So whether it's my kids, my own grandkids, whatever, I wanted to be someone special in someone else's life. And I didn't know how long I would live if I wasn't able to physically move in my world or how many people's lives I could touch if I was incapacitated because I was unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's such a powerful story. And you know, it, it, I hear that sometimes it, it takes, and unfortunately, you know, it may take somebody that you love to pass on for you to feel that it's time for a big change. And that is a story I hear quite often as well. And, you know, the fact that you decided at that point, Hey, you know, I'm going to be, I want to be a role model. Like your grandma left that much of a legacy for you that you decided to change your life. That's incredible. So how did you, what did you do? What steps did you take when you first started and you decided that you were going to take charge of your health? Well, I had a couple of non-negotiables because having not gone through all the diets, you know, I, I knew certain things that I did not like about the diets I had come across. And I knew my sisters had gone through various diets. I could see the pros and cons of things they had tried. So, you know, I had some research in front of me. I'm a big research nerd. I like to figure out all the options. But some non-negotiables that I started off with was I'm like, I can't, I don't want to buy into any sort of products. So no slim fast shakes, no like one a day or eat one sensible meal and then take these pills or these supplements. I did not want to do that. I am very leery of uh, any medical claims from something you ingest. And I was like, I just, I'm not into that thing. So that was non-negotiable. I wanted to eat real food. The other thing that was really important to me was it had to be um, eating food that I liked. And unfortunately, <laughs> I didn't get morbidly obese by eating salad all day. So I was like, I don't want to go on a diet that makes me eat salad all day because I'm not going to keep it up. So it had to be something I could keep doing and enjoy doing. Um, I think it was James Clear who wrote about the importance of establishing habits that you can maintain for life. You have to enjoy doing them in order to maintain that habit, that foundational habit. So I'm like, okay, I have to enjoy it. So what I said was I have to first become aware. I followed a certain process. And in the beginning, it was intuitive. And then it became a process that I took and used with my coaching clients. But the process is a four-step process. And it followed, um, the first step is awareness. Like, where was I? What was I actually doing? Many of us live in a world where we have zero consciousness of what it is we're actually doing. That could be like work-wise, it could be you know how we're going through life. We're kind of in a status quo and we're just kind of doing the things we're used to doing. Habits are, you know, are things that we don't think about. That's why it's a habit. So I'm like, I need to understand what my habits are right now. So I started journaling everything I was eating. Did not decide on a plan yet. This was just the first, first month of starting this journey. I said, I'm just gonna journal every bite I eat and see where I'm at, just understand where I'm at. And by the end of that month, just because I hated writing down, eating all the things I was traditionally eating, I was editing myself a little bit, not intentionally, just like, oh, I guess I don't need that second helping of this, that, and the other. I realized that I was eating upwards of 4,000 calories per day. No wonder I was obese because that was not what I needed. You know, my body didn't need that many calories. But until I actually wrote it down and got really honest about where and what and how much and when, I didn't know. On some level I did, but I didn't really know. So once I became faced with that and I created that awareness, and it took me a month because I wanted to understand my patterns. You can certainly do it for just a week and understand some of your patterns, but your patterns change throughout the month, especially as a woman. You have cycles, you have things that change throughout the weeks. So I wanted to understand my patterns overall. And I'm a big data nerd, so let me know if you're like, what, what is she talking about? Um, so for me, the, the monthly patterns were really important. I created that consciousness, that was step one. Step two was I'm like, okay, well, I need to lose so many pounds. And I did not say I need to be by this weight, by this date. And that's really important because I think a lot of people put undue pressure upon themselves when they say, I need to be this weight by this date. You know, they tell you it's a smart goal, but I don't think it's very smart. There's, there's a, a certain criticism built into that. There's a certain uh, limitation built into that. And if it's a long road for you, which it was a really long road for me, it took about a year, 
you're going to lose steam and you're going to lose motivation. So for me, it was the what small steps can I take now? And then after a month's time, I do things in monthly milestones. After a month's time, I'm going to review. That's the third step. Review what needs to happen. So I set, the second step was setting those monthly milestones. Okay, what is important for me to focus on this month? And I don't even remember what it was that first month, but I decided I wasn't going to drink any calories. So only water, only coffee with very limited amounts of sugar and or cream because I can't drink it black. Mm -hmm. And I was very intentional about like, no, I can't drink these sodas. I can't drink these Kool-Aid drinks that I had gotten used to drinking. So even those small changes, you know, creating that awareness and writing it down and only drinking water and non-caloric drinks, I lost 20 pounds in the first month. And so I'm like, oh, goody. When I was reviewing that, I was like, goody, it's working. Let me keep doing more of this. And then I added habits over time. I had to get my calories down, but I didn't want to eat less food and be hungry all the time. So, you know, how do you balance that? How do you eat less food without being hungry? My solution, which was loosely based on Weight Watchers. My sister had been on Weight Watchers, so I knew what their model was. I said, well, what they do is they... Uh, they kind of give you a different point system based on the fiber content of the food you're eating. And I looked at the foods that had a lot of fiber. Of course, fruits and vegetables are high on the fiber content. But other things that I'm more interested in eating were legumes, like beans and peanuts and nuts, whole grains. I love whole grains. I love choosing whole wheat bread over white bread. That is not a challenge for me. So I'm like, okay, I'll just eat more whole grains. I'll eat more, 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 more. So I loaded my plate with the things I enjoyed eating, just more of them, so that by default, I ate less of the things that were not helping me reach my goals. <laughs> and slowly over time, I adjusted my exercise as well, because while I was always active, I had to change my activity based on what I needed at the time. Our bodies get used to our exercise, you know, after six weeks or so, and then we don't get the same bang for the buck. So I had to constantly switch up what I was doing for exercise. Obviously, when you're almost 300 pounds, I wasn't interested in running 5Ks and 10Ks and things like that. I can now do that because I'm lighter, but I wasn't willing to injure myself from an exercise standpoint to get there. So exercise had to be fun. It had to be something I could do consistently and something that I could change up every six to eight weeks or so and be interesting, you know, be fun. So for me, it was dance in the beginning. And then every month I would review it and say, okay, is this 40 minute dance video that I've already memorized the routines for, is it really doing it for me or do I need to shake it up again? So that was kind of the process I followed throughout the course of the next year. And it just kept working for me and I kept revising and refining and adjusting based on what my body was telling me. Wow. So, so it sounds like a lot of it was, was it intuitive more so, or did you have, like you said, you, you kind of looked and modeled the Weight Watchers a little bit, but did you have any other inspiration that, for the four-step program or anybody that you were talking to, or did you just kind of figure this out on your own with research? One of the things I'm really passionate about is not paying that much attention to what other people tell you, because I feel that that is a big distraction, especially today where information is so readily available. And every day there's a new, new um, you know, report or study that's telling us that's contradicting what we thought we knew to be true. So I think that was a way I armored myself to do, um, to listen to my own self, because if I had listened to what people were advising me to do, like, oh, my neighbor tried this, or my friend tried this, and I kept on jumping on different bandwagons, I think I would have gone into yo-yo dieting, and I would have been very frustrated. So I did not really pay attention to what the experts were saying. I didn't follow any experts. I didn't have any specific plan I was following. I just said, okay. I'm going to keep my head down. I'm going to focus on what I'm doing. If it's, stop working, if it's not working anymore, then I'll look at a different place. But one thing, once some resources I did turn to, because I, I'm a big believer in learning how to cook, and um, that's one skill that I firmly believe if you want to embrace a health journey, you have to love cooking, or at least cooking certain things that you enjoy eating. I'm not saying you have to spend all day in the kitchen, because I don't. But it, it was through exploration of fun and interesting recipes that I subscribed to. Like I did a Cooking Light magazine subscription. Eating Well is another magazine that I love. They just have fun recipes. 
and I wasn't cooking a lot as a kid. My mom didn't let us in the kitchen. We ate a lot of canned and processed and boxed things. So I know how to open a can and heat it up, but I needed to learn how to explore cooking that felt good to me with recipes that I enjoyed eating and that I love sharing with other people. I still host dinner parties today. I love to share what I make with people. Um, I provide recipe books for people just because I love doing it. And I just love sharing things that work well, that work for my family. And I love to substitute things. So I like to play around in the kitchen a lot and experiment. That is a skill that I think will be so important and critical for anyone who's listening today. Just be willing to experiment and play and be curious. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's so true, like fall in love with making meals and making a variety of meals that are delicious and you know, you, anytime people hear of a diet, you know, automatically we think salads or something super bland, right? We're going to have to cut out all of the sugar and all of the salt and it's going to be, you know, less sauce. But it's absolutely, you're absolutely right. If you can get your hands on, and I mean, nowadays we've got Pinterest, you can get your hands on so many recipes on there, you know, and if you are looking and watching your calorie intake, you can find ones that are in your caloric, you know, um, restrictions and things like that. So it's just, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like picking up and, and cooking and getting into the joy of doing it is so important for sure. Especially because I'm a mom of two girls and they like coming in the kitchen with me. They like helping me out. They've been helping me bake for years, like since they were two years old. My teenager is now an award-winning baker. I mean, she has won cupcake awards and all sorts of things locally here. So, you know, I've inspired them to also be creative and have fun. And they already are creative girls, but creative in the kitchen is different than being creative on paper or creative on a canvas. So I'm happy that I'm able to inspire that legacy in my kids as well. Yeah. And what a beautiful thing to pass down to them for sure. So how long did it take you? You said in the first month you, you dropped down 20 pounds, but how long did it take you to get to, did you have an ideal weight in mind and how long did it take before you reached that ideal weight? You know, that's really funny. I didn't set out in an ideal weight. I mean, I knew what my charts and my doctors were telling me was my ideal weight and full disclosure, I have never reached that weight as an adult. So, um, that was kind of in the back of my head because I'm aware of what that is. However, um, I just kept on going until I reached a place that I'm like, this is good. This, this is where I'm sitting and, and I'm enjoying this. And I, I know I can restrict and lose more, but that won't make it enjoyable anymore. That would make it too hard. That would make it me beating my head on a wall and being frustrated because I can't lose two more pounds. You know, I didn't want to get to that place ever. So I think that kind of um, set me up for success or failure, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> I was just I was just wanting to keep going until it wasn't working, and then deciding whether it was worth it to put additional effort towards it. And um, shortly after I lost the weight, you know, it took me a year. Within the next year, I met my husband. We started our family. So to me, I had bigger priorities than whether I'm 10 or 15 pounds over my ideal weight. So I focus on other things at that time. Yeah. And that makes sense. And how much, like just curiosity for the listeners, how much did you lose over that year? I lost a hundred pounds. Wow. That's, that is incredible. That is wow. So, you know, it's, it's just so, it is so inspiring hearing your story and your journey about how you got there. Now, what were some, what were some of the struggles or obstacles that, you know, some people are going through right now, maybe they're doing their own weight loss journey. What were some things that came up for you while you were going through that year of losing weight? And what were some things that you did to help overcome those? Some of the things that were more challenging, and I wasn't a big partier in college. Like I didn't go out drinking. I didn't hang out and um, get wasted on weekends or whatever. That just wasn't something that I did. <laughs> But if that was kind of you or as an adult, you're like, it's wine o'clock or something like that, that could be a particular challenge. For me, it was more of um, being in social settings. So, you know, after you graduate school and you find your first professional job, I worked in corporate offices for 16 years before I became a health coach and entrepreneur. And in the office, you know, there are endless supplies of food and it's usually desserts and treats and things that, you know, when you're on a health journey, you don't necessarily eat those things. 
So in order to avoid those temptations, I had to plan ahead and, and bring my own food or just uh, find ways to not be as tempted by those things. So, you know, if my manager said, oh, there's donuts in the break room or, oh, there's bagels and cream cheese over here. I'm like, well, those are, aren't things I really eat. So I had a choice, you know, and I wanted to remove as many choices as possible from my life. And that means like, I would just not go in the room where the food was, or I would eat something before I went in the room. So being prepared and planning ahead means I always had something acceptable with me to eat, whether that was packing my own lunch or bringing my own snacks. And, um, you know, as happy hours after work became a thing, I had to be really intentional about, okay, I will have some alcohol now, but I'm going to stop at one drink. And I never go beyond one drink, no matter what's happening. Like, I think in the past 10 years, I've had two drinks, maybe once or twice. So, um, and then I have rules. I build in rules around what that looks like. So if I do have a glass of alcohol, I make sure I have a full glass of water before I drink alcohol and then a full glass of water after, before deciding whether I'm going to have a second glass. So, you know, I have a lot of um, cornerstone habits, like things that before there's a party, I might have a sensible snack before I go out. And I still do that in maintenance. You know, it's just part of my lifestyle. So maintenance is really no different. It's just deciding where I draw the boundaries. Maybe the boundaries are a little bit different than they were when I was losing, but I've been maintaining for about 20 years. So, you know, the ups and downs of pregnancy and things like that. I still have those rules. I still have those same things where I'm like, I don't go beyond this. I don't um, indulge in certain environments that might tempt me beyond what I think I can handle um, until I've removed it as a trigger. So for example, I had a lot of trigger foods when I was a kid like chili cheese Fritos come to mind. I love chili cheese Fritos. I love Doritos. Uh, I loved all that stuff. And I had to wait until they no longer called to me with a siren song, until they were no longer intriguing to me. So if I could watch a commercial on TV of chili cheese Fritos and I didn't start salivating, then I knew I had broken my hold upon that. I knew it wasn't a trigger food for me anymore. So I could start slowly introducing myself to having that in my environment. I'm not saying I bought it, but I'm saying like being exposed to it wouldn't have been a challenge for me. So you have to somehow create your environment for success. And sometimes that means you say no to things that you used to participate in. Like sometimes you don't go to happy hour just because it's not going to help you because you're going to be too tempted because your friends are going to order things that you're going to feel like you're eating or whatever, you know, you have to make those decisions. Like what is my priority right now? Can I avoid some of those temptations? Can I do it without being antisocial? I know that comes out a lot. Like I'm not going to say no to dinner parties, but can I do it in a way that allows me to still, you know, keep with my guidelines and be okay with it and not feel frustrated that other people are eating things that I want to eat. So I had to set really clear boundaries. And this is true of adulthood, right? You just have to set the boundaries around what you will allow and what you won't. But I will say those were some challenges that definitely came up um, over the years of maintenance and things like that. And you still use those today to keep- I still have very similar guidelines. I sometimes shift them a little bit. Like I might have more than one drink of alcohol or I might eat certain foods like processed foods. I have been eating a few more processed foods during COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all have <laughs> <laughs> just for convenience sake or because I'm feeling a certain way you know I I'm an emotional eater and I can say that I've beaten emotional eating it's not really true like I've found ways to shortchange or overcome it in most circumstances but I allow it to in certain circumstances as long as I know that I do have that choice at the end of the day so you know I'll sometimes allow things that I didn't used to allow because it's all about at the end of the week, what did my week look like? Mm -hmm. And because I know my patterns and trends, yeah, I had two or three days where I kind of went a little hog wild with everything, but I balanced it out for the rest of the week. So for me, it's more like a weekly and a monthly standpoint. Where am I at? One day is not going to kill your results. So I'm just saying that out there, folks. One day is not going to kill everything. I know I, in the beginning, I used to have this sense of, oh, well, I already ate this pizza. I might as well eat a bunch of Sundays too. You know, I might as well eat all these other things because I just blew my diet. I, I never had that kind of all or nothing thinking, but I know the temptation can be there to say, well, I just blew it. I might as well keep blowing it every day. That's not really how I operate. I'm saying, okay, well, this meal was not so good. Here's another meal coming up. 
Yeah. Like you, like you said from the beginning, you took it one step at a time. And it sounded like you were really and still are very kind to yourself about the process, you know? And when you were talking there about how people will beat themselves up and give up, that is something that happens so often. And I like how you have the milestones of a week and a month because yes, majority of diets are daily based. What, what were your calories for your, for your day? Oh, I went over by a hundred. Oh my goodness. You know, like it's always based on that day. And you think, if, well, I messed up this whole day. So whatever, the week is just gone to, gone to hell. But I like how you said that. Like you just, you have to look at the milestones as being long-term instead of looking at it from, from a day-to-day standpoint, for sure. And I want to throw one small thing in there too. This is something that has been so helpful for me and will be helpful for your listeners. You have to celebrate. You have to, the, one of the reasons why you have milestones in your plan built in is so you can celebrate yourself because like, you don't want to wait a year to reach your ultimate, ultimate, whatever that is for you before you celebrate. You have to celebrate as it happens. I see a lot of people and I've worked with clients before. They're like, yeah, I, I didn't eat the right amount of calories this week. And I'm like, but look at your water consumption. You're doing great with your water. Cause I mean, we overlook the things that we're doing well and we focus on the bad things. There will be bad things every week. Something will not turn out hundred percent the way you wanted it to turn out but I like to build in celebrations like, and the celebrations are different. It's obviously non-food related, but there's so many ways you can celebrate your progress. And it can be even for something as small as I woke up 10 minutes earlier so I could meditate today. You know, that is something to be celebrated because it's a change and you have to enjoy the change before you make it a habit. Yeah. You're so right. I love how you said that. It's, it's yeah. You got to celebrate the wins, even if they're, even in your mind, if they're minute, it's, it's so important to do that. And I think the more we do that, we lift ourselves up and we, it drives us to, to achieve our goals even better if we can do that. Now, what, what things would you say? I know like, okay, so the diet culture and it has been like this for years is so up and down and there's so many conflicting things you know, how do you think people need to change their views about weight loss? What, what would you say to somebody listening that is literally confused about everything that they see on, on, you know, on TV or on, in magazines? What would you tell them? Well, first of all, I will say, you know, there is this interesting back talk around um, being obese means you're unhealthy or it means you're more susceptible to die younger and all these things. There's actually a study out there that uh, came up with this result and finding that there's something called the obesity paradox, which means that people who are obese, and that's 30 to 40 pounds overweight, so more than 30 pounds overweight, are more likely to outlive people who are thin or average size. It's interesting that this myth has been perpetrated that, oh, if you're obese or overweight, you're going to die sooner or you're going to have a bad quality of life. That's not what the research supports, which is one of the reasons why I, um, I like to talk to people about body bliss instead of like ideal weight or, you know, things like that, because it has to feel good for you. And if you're beating yourself up over something that may not allow you to live a higher quality of life, it's not worth it because your quality of life today is not good enough. Um, in terms of the confusion out there and all the choices and the diet programs and all these things, I try to make it as simple as possible. So when I work with clients today, we do a macronutrient-based plan, which includes ideas of calories, but it also talks about the building blocks of food. Everything we eat, our body digests it either as a protein, a fat, or a carb. Those are the three macronutrients. So macro means on the big level. And there's there's nutrients inside of them, like micronutrients and all that, but that's let's not overcomplicate it. I'm not a scientist. I don't try to make it scientific, but that's basically how our body metabolizes food as one of those three. And if you want to have a balanced eating plan, then you have two of the three every time you sit down to eat, including your snacks. So simple, right? I mean, everyone can figure that out. Um, most of us already know what a protein looks like because we hear a lot about, oh, eat high protein. Protein is good for you. Uh, we, most of us know what healthy fats look like because we hear a lot about these keto plans that focus on, oh, eat high fat, but it's got to be fats from certain sources and things like that. And most of us, you know, are 
victims of the low carb craze. So we know what carbs look like. <laughs> the problem with most of these diet programs out there is they hyper focus on just one of the three macros to the detriment of the other three. But we're talking about balance. We're not talking about hyper focus on one area of life. We're talking about overall, what does the big picture look like for you? And when it comes to food, it's the three macronutrients. So for me, that is the easiest way to help my clients. Once you are able to identify at a glance, as you're looking at your plate, we're not trying to overcomplicate and measure and set yourself up to be a statistician so that you can lose weight. No, instead we're gonna look at your plate and say, okay, so about 40% of that plate would probably be best to have a lot of protein. You know, maybe 30% of that plate would be a healthy fat. And sometimes the protein is cooked in the fat, so that makes it easier. And then the rest of the plate, 30% or so, would be the carbs. Anything from fruit and veggies to whole grains to, you know, healthier carbs are better than the complex carbs as opposed to the simple carbs. But you choose what those carbs look like. You know, I like to build in flexibility and choice in everything we're doing. So once I teach my clients how to identify the macronutrients, it's super easy. I have a free download. It's called the Breakfast Blueprint. I think everyone should eat a healthy breakfast. I'm not a fan of intermittent fasting. So <laughs> I'm sure you can understand why I like to eat too much. But, <laughs> but I do feel that that is the easiest way to reach my clients no matter where they are today. So even clients who are gluten-free, clients who can't eat certain th things, maybe they're on the low FODMAP diet for various reasons. Maybe they have digestive is issues or autoimmune issues or whatever. You can still build your plate based on macronutrients and it's simple and easy and with a small amount of education, you can get there quickly. So that's what I like to use because it's simple and it's friendly to every dietary need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's balanced. And the beautiful thing about teaching somebody that plate structure and your macros is that something that they can sustain for forever. You know, like you're talking about some of those other diets, you know, low carb and keto, you get your ideal weight and majority of people just stop because it's so restricting. So I like your philosophy because it's something that people can take with them and use for the rest of their lives to eat healthy. Now, do you work with, primarily women? Um, do you work with primarily people that are obese or what, what's your clientele base that you usually work with? I love working with uh, moms because I have worked with so many moms who have gotten into the habit of cooking something different for themselves versus their family. And I'm like, Oh heck no, we ain't got time for that. No, we're going to all eat the same things and I'll show you how to do that. But also I like working with moms who have kids of any age really um, even if they're empty nesting, you know, because their kids are away to college, that's a great success for them. It's a good time to revisit their own health and, and how they feel in their body. So I like to work with moms primarily. I have worked with one or two gentlemen who are just hearing my message and feeling me. I don't turn anyone away, but I do really have a sweet spot for um, the moms because that's kind of what I'm experiencing and some of the people that I'm connected to. So. Mm. Yeah. And I'm a mom too. I know how hard it was losing the weight after having a baby because, you know, you're so stressed. You got this newborn, all these things, hormones, the whole nine yards. So yes, I, there is definitely a need for that for moms out there for sure, that support. So where would our listeners go to, Jen, to connect with you further if they want to find out about you and your services and just take this conversation off the podcast? Where, where can I send them? I invite all of you to come take a look. I've got some free resources, including the breakfast blueprint I mentioned earlier, all about macros for breakfast. My digital home, where you can find me 24-7, is weightlistchronicles.com. And if you go to that website, you will see I'm on social media, so you can follow me on your favorite social media platform. I'm on pretty much every single one of them. You can download some free resources. I also have a Facebook group, which is linked to my website. So you can join that. That's a completely free accountability group. And again, I'm not pushing any products. I'm not pushing um, you to do something that you don't like to do. I'm all about bliss and finding it today, not necessarily tomorrow. I like that. And I, for the listeners out there, I will have your link, Jen. So if you can, if you can send me your uh, Facebook group link, I will put that in the show notes and your social media links as well. Um, so that the listeners can go there and it'll be easier, easier way to find you. They can go Absolutely. there. And find you, so. Let's join so, the party. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, oh my goodness. It was such a pleasure listening to your story, Jen, and just how inspiring it is and the journey that you went through and the fact that you went through that journey, you lost the weight and you kept it off. Like that is like, you know, you, you hit that milestone, you kept the weight, you lost the weight. Now, 20 years later, you've still kept that off. And that's just incredible. And yeah, wow. How amazing. So we are going to just wrap things up. And I got one last question that I ask everybody on the podcast. And if you can just give our listeners one takeaway, one tip today, you know, just a little mantra maybe that would help them and inspire them to live a healthier, happier life. What would you tell them? I would say, and I, I don't remember who this quote is from. I should have checked my sources, but you will never change your life until you change something that you do every day. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying you have to change your entire life every day, but if there's just one thing you can focus on today, even if it's a small thing, even if it feels inconsequential to you, that is how change happens. The time will pass. You know, don't put a deadline on yourself. You're worth more than just a deadline. You will be here hopefully a long time. But just know that you can make change happen just by focusing on one small thing a day. That's what I did and certainly Anything that's possible for me is way more possible for you. So believe in yourself and start with just that one thing today. I love it. That's so inspiring. Thank you so much, Jen, for coming on and sharing your story with us and your inspiration. And I know, you know, the listeners out there that are going through their weight, weight struggles are going to leave this podcast and feel really motivated and uplifted. So thank you. Thank you. And go and get it, everyone. Thanks, Christina. I appreciate the time today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in to Inspire Her Health podcast. If you were inspired about what you heard today, please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Also, please help us to inspire more women to live their best by taking a screenshot of this episode and posting it on your social media. Be sure to tag us at Inspire Her Health so that we may give you a shout out on our social platforms and thank you for your support. If you would like more tips and tricks on how to live a healthier, happier life, be sure to visit us on our online magazine at www.inspireherhealth.com. And while you're there, We would love for you to join our community where you will be automatically entered in for our monthly giveaways, as well as receive weekly wellness challenges and exclusive content to inspire you through mind, body, and life. Thanks again for tuning in. See you in the next episode.